Welcome to Originality, the podcast where we talk about creativity and explore the roots of creative genius. I am one of your hosts, Aline Sims, and I am joined by Kay Tempest Bradford. Surprise! Right? It's so different from every other week. <laughs> Every other episode we've done of this podcast. So, hi. Hello there. How's it going? It's November. It is. How is it November? I I refuse to answer that question because it makes no sense. Um, but because it's November that, and because it's an even-numbered year, that means there's an election. Yep. Very, very exciting. Um, And so although on this podcast we don't talk about politics per se, although we do talk about, I guess you could say, political things, um, the the election, which as as of the time of this recording has just ended. 2018 election. (laughs) Yeah. For uh, evergreen purposes. For evergreen purposes. Um, (laughs) It has uh, brought back to mind... um, some stuff that we've been talking about actually for the past couple of years, just among like writer friends of mine. And um, there was even a blog post by John Scalzi around this time last year that sort of explicitly brought the conversation into a sort of wider forum other than just like friends talking about it. And it's basically about being creative and creative output um, during times of, I guess you could say political stress. Um, because politically it's very stressful for, for some of us, for, for some writers here. And, um, and specifically Scalzi was saying, I mean, let me, let me find the exact title of this. Um, 2017 word counts and writing process where he's basically just saying like, my writing word count per day is down from where it used to be before the 2016 election. Um, and one of the, uh, articles that sort of cited this blog post um, basically is writer John Scalzi nails why it's so hard to be creative under Trump. It's like, okay, (laughs) that's very explicit, right? Um, So what I found most interesting about uh, John's post is that it, it was interesting to me to watch him come to a realization that plenty of other people have had already like come to and dealt with and, and we talk about it, but it's also, it, it was nice because it's like, okay, like finally the person who is, you know, white privilege man understands what people who don't have white privilege have been going through mm-hmm. um, since forever. But it, it also just allowed there to be a wider conversation about it. So that's like kind of the jumping point I wanted to take for today uh, especially since, yeah, there's just, there's a lot going on politically in America, but also in many other places yep. around the world um, that make it difficult for, for some people to be creative because of the, the impact on, on mental health that, that some of these political realities have. And then also to talk a little bit about how these kind of politically trying times, I guess you could call them, uh, can also be like a, a spur uh, to greater creative heights. 
So, yeah. And I don't, I don't know that I stated it explicitly. I've kind of, I've talked about my own struggles this year and my own mental health. Um, but the, the political landscape is a large, I mean, it's not all of what's going on, but it's kind of this overwhelming, overbearing, inescapable part of it. You know, it's hard to take a break from the latest Washington, D.C. drama. Um, and so, yeah, it's like you can't you you can't run away from it. Like I can run away from my I don't know, the apartment that's stressing me out or whatever. But like I can't run away from politically what's happening. Yeah. And I think that that's like one of the biggest truths of being a writer who comes from either a marginalized identity or from a country or culture where things are not, um, things are not, I guess you could say settled. It's not really the, quite the right word because some folks are, you know, living in places where there's literal war going on, mm -hmm. um, whether or not anybody wants to call it a war. Like there's literal war, there's, you know, violence, um, political suppression, you know, things like that. Um, and, even though the, I guess the, the American way, quote unquote, is to say like, those things are going on over there. But actually like there are people who live in America who live in conditions that, you know, would qualify them for like living in a war zone. Mm -hmm. um, if you're living somewhere that's like severely economically depressed that where um, violence and crime and stuff is going unchecked because uh, it because the politicians are like, well, we don't need to worry about that place over there. That place over there is full of undesirables. So, who cares what what goes on with them, right? You know, and you hear it in the in the political discourse. Like, whenever any politician is like, we don't want our city to become like Chicago. Mm -hmm. What they mean is, we don't want our city to be full of black people. Like, that's literally what you know yep. Chicago now stands for, right? Because like Chicago's it's whatever. But, you know, yeah, so there are people who are living here who, who are living in an unstable environment where it's, it's hard to get anything done, much less creative things. Um, and so we should, like, put it off as, like, those things are all happening out there um, because they are happening out there and they are also happening right here. Mm -hmm. um, and it just... And, and people throughout time have always found ways to make art even in unstable environments. Um, but that doesn't mean that it's, it's not a detriment to it. Um, and I think that, yeah, you know, the, the frontline impact is always on like, you know, people saying like, why I don't have the mental space right now to, to sit down and write. I don't have the mental space to sit down and draw because I'm worried about whether or not it's safe for me to walk down the street, whether or not I'm going to, you know, have healthcare in the morning or whether or not somebody is going to decide to do violence against me because they perceive that I am, you know, this or that. Um, that's just, it just takes a mental toll. Yeah. Yeah. And so it, it's, it's interesting to me because no, interesting isn't the right word, but like, I guess it's just been fascinating to me to see 
the last year, two years, how people have reacted to everything that's going on. And like you said, it's not, it isn't just the U.S. Like, I feel it very acutely here, but like... If you watch the news, there's funky stuff stuff happening like all all over the place. But when it's always in the news cycle and everybody you follow on social media is talking about it and um you know it, there's this emboldening of things that I really hoped we're on the way out, you know, like, um, certain kinds of bigotry and that kind of stuff. And to have it in your face all the time is really complicated. And I feel like, I don't know, I, I, it feels like a weight, like a mental weight, like my brain has a plate on it or something. And so I guess, I guess the question is like, are there tools that we can use to get out from under this? Um, the, I don't know. I'm, I, I'm, I don't know. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that's always the thing is like trying to figure out the ways that one can not quite get past it, but like work through it. Mm-hmm. Um, if that's what you have the capacity to do. And if that's what you want to do, like some people are just like, no, nah, I'm not, I'm not even going to worry about that. I'm just going to worry about survival. But for some people, their creativity is their survival, yeah. right? Like you have to draw, you have to dance, you have to write, you have to sing, you have to, you know, make music. Um, and And for that, like for when it's difficult, I mean, you know, obviously I don't have all the answers and solutions because my word count output has been far less <laughs> mm-hmm. than I would have liked. And and part of that is is because of some of the mental health issues that are brought about by the by the political climate. But the things that have kept me moving forward in particular is community and also just like being open about the fact that I am struggling in this particular way. Um, I have a lot of really great friends. Alina is one of them. And I, you know, I try as best as I can to say, this is what's going on with me. Like I try not to, to sort of like hole up and like get in my pillow fort Mm -hmm. (laughs) and, and sort of not talk about what's going on with me. Um, and and that's because, like, I'm one of those uh, in- extroverted introverts. I know that doesn't make any sense. No, it, do- it does. <laughs> yeah, it's like I'm actually an in- introvert, but I'm an introvert who needs, like, just enough social interaction so I don't yep. feel like I'm completely alone in the dark, right? And And I also, like, prefer social interaction with, like, a group of close friends as opposed to, like, everybody out there in the world. So you know, fostering those friendships um, and and sort of forcing myself to check in and also forcing myself to to let people know that I need help. Like uh, a couple of weeks ago, I went to one of my groups of friends and I said, I need accountability buddies because I'm going to try to do like this much writing and y'all need to hold me accountable. And a bunch of them were like, okay, yes, we'll do that. And so, you know, we, and we have been doing that. We've been checking in and I haven't met my word goals, but also my accountability buddies, like, don't, 
don't make me feel bad for meeting my work goal, not mm-hmm. meeting my work girls. They're just like, you didn't meet that today, but tomorrow we're getting back on that horse, right? And then whatever words I do get down, they're like, yeah, you wrote them. You're the best. So, you know, that's that's what I need and that's what I find helpful. And, and it's also, you know, good to be able to talk to people about the things that are keeping me feeling really hopeless and to know that I'm not alone. Cause like, that's also one of the reasons why I wanted to do this episode is because I think there are a lot of people out there who are like, uh, I suck. Mm-hmm. I haven't been able to like do my art or do as much of my art as I wanted to. And it's because I'm a failure. It's because like, I'm not disciplined enough. I don't have grit and la 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 la. Are All you in that- my head? Tempest, because honestly, right. It's like, I I know that really well. And like all of that is of course, complete crap. Like there's, you know, I, I understand the idea of grit. I understand how, you know, it's, it's very important to like put the butt in the chair and, or put the, the feet in the dancing shoes or whatever the, <laughs> the thing is that people tell you you have to do uh, in order to be a successful artist in your chosen field. But it's also just important to recognize the, the realities of life and that sometimes, you know, just be putting the butt in the chair is not always necessarily easy. Um, and when things are unstable, even outside of your own head, right? Because like I have, I have mental stuff that's like all just me. Like it has nothing to do with anything going on outside. It's just my brain chemistry, right? But then things on the outside also impact that. So that like adds an extra burden. And, and it's just important to realize that number one, that just because you are going through that, it doesn't mean that you're alone and it doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you. That's just like how it is. And, you know, certain political realities are going to affect you maybe more than they affect like somebody who's standing next to you. That doesn't mean that somebody who's standing next to you is any, you know, better an artist than you are. Yep. Or any better a person. Oh, but that struggle. And I, I don't know. Um, I try to be really open about this kind of stuff. People who like follow me on Twitter, especially know, um, like this has been a rough year. Um, it for, for a lot of reasons. And I don't necessarily share when I'm in the middle of it for a couple of reasons. One, I often don't recognize I'm in the middle of it (laughs) until there's something that's like, Oh wait, that's not right. You know? And then, um, too often I just can't process when I'm in the middle of it, but I try to always be very open about my own struggles for a couple of reasons. One, it's just kind of nice to get it out there and be like, no, I'm not like a total flake. I can be flaky. I, I know this about myself. It's never intentional, but I can be. But also like there are some exacerbating conditions, um, and situations, but also too, if you also are feeling this, you are not alone because sometimes for me, that's the worst feeling is, is I, I am the only one facing the struggle right now. I'm the only one with these, um, you know, (laughs) the expectation of being gritty or, or, or whatever, like that, that's not a nice feeling. And so I, I put it out there 
for that too. Um, I know not everybody can, but I always appreciate um, when people are able to be kind of candid about this kind of stuff, just because I think there's power in putting words. I mean, I'm a writer, so obviously I think there's power in putting words to what we're feeling instead of acting like everything's fine all the time. Um, and I think that acting like everything's fine all the time is what got a large percentage of us in this mess we're in. Um, because we just, we, we don't, we don't like to acknowledge problems, whether there are our own internal problems or whether they're kind of out there in the world. Um, and so that's kind of what I try to do is, is destigmatize that kind of stuff. But also that gets me in my own head a lot. Not that I'm not already. Um, and that cuts into my productivity too, is just cause I'm sitting here trying to figure out why I'm not being productive when I could just actually be working on being productive. <laughs> I don't know what that's like at all. Ha ha, no wait. <laughs> no wait, actually, I totally do. Um, yeah, yeah, it's... And I, I had been having these really interesting conversations with people about um, how social media... Like, okay, I I often have a problem when I see people being like, oh, you know, you shouldn't, like, you know, look at somebody's life on social media and think that everything is fine just because they only put up, you like, see the highlights. happy, right, you only see the highlights, they only put up happy pictures and they don't share the, you know, the pain or whatever, and, and like, how dare people do that, and like, oh, it's so unrealistic, I'm like, okay, first of all, um, no, no public-facing uh, thing is going to reflect a person's life accurately, 100% mm -hmm. accurately. Because uh, first of all, I don't want to put every minute of every day of my life on Twitter or Facebook or, or Instagram. And and quite honestly, like people who sort of do also get crap from from them, the the mythological, I mean, I, I guess the metaphorical them, they're always complaining about like people like snapping their food and, you know, doing whatever. Like, so you can't win. First of all, yep. you can't win when you listen to them because they will always have something <laughs> negative to say about what's going on. So that's the first thing. Um, and the second thing is like, sometimes people need their social media presence to be about the good things in their life so that they can like remember what's good about their life. Right. Like it's wonderful for me to take pictures of myself and put them on Instagram and be like, this is what I look like today. This is what I look like the next day. Because number one, I, I still consider it to be a feminist act to be, you know, to share what I look like and to say that I look great. Mm -hmm. Like that's just, I, agree. I feel like I feel it's a feminist act. And also it makes me happy to, to see when other people do that, you know, uh, seeing Aline's pictures every day also makes me really happy because it's just like, look, it's Aline. And maybe it's not a picture of her face. Maybe it's a picture of like her cat or something a else. A lot of pictures of my cat. <laughs> <laughs> right. And that's totally okay because it's like, it's a little piece of her. And it doesn't mean that I'm like, well, why is she sharing all of her struggles? And why is she sharing pictures of like the mess in the corner? I don't, don't care about that. What I care mm -hmm. about is that Aline is sharing things so that I can see little bits of her life every day and that's 
that's what I care about. Um, and so I think it's totally fine to just like use your social media presence to just be like, this is the positive thing in my Agreed. day. Mm -hmm. This is the great thing that's going on. Um, at the same time, I think it's also totally fine for people. And I think that people should, if they feel comfortable, share share their struggles and or share the fact that like because they're struggling this is what they decide to do about it like it, it's a positive thing like i was struggling with feeling lonely and so i reached out to my friends and we decided to all go do something frivolous together and that made me feel less lonely you know like that kind of thing i think is is really good to share and and i also think that it's totally fine for people to like get on social media and and say like I'm really struggling right now. I would like people to like help me by sending me pictures of kittens or, mm -hmm. or telling me that it's okay that I feel this way. Um, the, the drawback to that, if it's, you know, if you're doing it in like super public, like on Twitter or something is that you will have people come along who will just like say terrible things to you because yeah. they can. <clears throat> so just watch out for that. But a lot of times, especially if you have a lot of, you know, actual friends and by actual, I mean like people who are your friends, not necessarily people that you've met in real life, but people who are your friends online. If you have a lot of them following you, then you're going to get a lot of people who are like, yeah, totally. I'm, I'm going to be here and, and I'm going to do that thing for you. And I'm going to send you that cat picture so that you feel better. Um, it's just, it's so important to to know that you have the ability to reach out to people. Um, but it's, it's also important to like, just do what you want in terms of, you know, putting out there, whatever it is that you want to put out there on social media, it's, it's totally okay. And I think that again, like that can, it can be a tool, you know, depending on like which social media we're talking about to, to help you feel like you, you do have that community to help you feel like you're not alone. Um, I mean, even just like sending out a Twitter query saying like, am I alone in thinking this? Am I alone in feeling this? And you will get a lot of responses back saying, no, you are not alone. And that could be really, really heartening. Yeah. A couple of weeks ago, I, because I was like going through my Facebook memories, like that's the only time I'm on Facebook anymore is like I go through my memories on Facebook. I'm like, I remember that post. I found a post from like November the 2nd of 2015. That's three years ago, right? Jesus. Um, <laughs> counting. Um, <laughs> I found a post where I was like, I'm putting my writing tiara on and I'm writing this novel. Mm -hmm. And I, re and I remember because I was like, oh yes, that's the novel that I'm working on right now. And that was like right after I had the critique of the novella that I wrote where everybody in my critique group was like, this is a novel. And I was like, ah, you guys are the worst. And so then I was like, well, it's almost November. I'm going to take NaNoWriMo. I'm going to try to get some words on this novel. And so I saw that and I was like, I've been working on this novel for three years. Like I, I sort of knew that, but having social media, like put that back in my face, I was like, ah, three years I've been working on this. And so then I got on Twitter and I was like, I've been working on this novel for three years. Somebody tell me that that's fine. <laughs> and I got a lot of responses back from people being like, oh, that's totally fine. And I'd be like, oh, yeah, my book took me five years. My book took me like this many years. Like I'm still working on my book and it's been like two and a half years or three or five or whatever. And that was just really, that was really useful because even though like I knew it was okay, I know that there are plenty of people who have spent like way longer than I have writing a book. And like truth be told, 
there are some books that I have technically like had in progress for way longer than three years. This is like my shortest time having still been written a book. Um, so I knew it was okay, like on some level, but I did need other people to come along and just be like, no, this is fine. Um, and, and it just like, it created like a really happy moment. And then there, of course, there was one person who was like, no, it's not fine. I'm like, sir, get out. See, it's a screening tool, really. Right. Like, out, sir, out. He wasn't even somebody who followed me. And I was like, why are you even here? Get out. So it's interesting. <laughs> this example specifically is interesting because um, I've kind of been going through the same, a, a similar thing where I'm trying to write um, this guide for app developers. And often what happens is I sit here and I freak out and I get in this um, anxiety, ADHD, repetitive thought feedback loop, which is a lot of fun. Trying to break out of that is fascinating because first you have to realize that you're in a repetitive thought loop, um, but you're having repetitive thoughts. So it's a little hard to focus on anything else. Um, but I was reading, speaking of Scalzi, we invoke him so much. I feel like if we ever get like sponsorships for the show, we need to give him a royalty or something. But um, he put out a book that was a compilation of his best blog posts over a 10-year period, which was 2007 to 2017. And um, he was he talks about, a lot of those posts talk about his writing process or his writing goals and stuff. Um, and there were a couple of things I took away from that. One, he cited Sam Sykes, who I've not, I haven't read any of Sam Sykes' stuff. I'm aware of him as a Twitter personality, but um, that's that's it. But um, who, at least the time of the writing of that particular post, uh, his goal was to write 250 words a day. And, um, and that's like a double-spaced page if you're writing kind of like an academic type paper a single double space page. And I was like, I've had these word count goals of like, uh, you know, a thousand words a day or whatever. And I was like, 200, I can, I can, I've written 250 words a day. I can totally do 250 words a day. And, um, and the other thing, uh, in Scalzi's book. So if you read Stephen King's like on writing, he talks about how he writes 2000 words a day, whether it takes him two hours or whether it takes him the entire day and he beats his head against his desk, he writes 2000 words a day. Um, and then also, <laughs> um, well, no, actually. So what John Scalzi said at that, at the time he wrote this post was his goal was basically to write for three hours a day or until he hit 2000 words, whichever came first. And I was like, I can write 250 words in three hours. I'm pretty sure I can do that. Um, and so that's kind of been my goal lately is not, not the 250 words. That's just kind of out there as a like, I don't have to boil the ocean. This is a problem that I have continually had my entire life is like, I try to do everything at once. And so my goal right now is to get my butt in the chair at nine in the morning and stay in the chair until noon working on the guide. And then I can go play Splatoon the rest of the day 
or whatever. Um, what I'm finding is I'm actually pretty excited about it and I want to work on it for another few hours. Um, but by removing myself from kind of like that word count goal or that date finish goal or whatever, and it's just about the choice I make today to sit here and give myself these three hours is, um, feels pretty empowering. Um, I've only been doing it a few days, so I don't know how it's going to work in the long run, but I get you because I wanted to have this thing launched in September and it is now (laughs) early November, you know, and, um, it's not a novel, you know, it's going to be 20 or 30 pages and I am struggling so, so, so hard. Um, so it's okay. Um, if you're, you're listening to this and you have a project, whether it's a writing project or a music project or an art project or whatever that you've been working on and it's been really hard, figure out what your hangups are and see if you can step out of that. And for me, it's, you know, as a person with ADHD and anxiety about the future, I'm choosing to focus on like the now bit, what I can control now. I can't control six months from now, but I can control what I do this morning. Yeah, definitely. And and the other thing is like finding people who will give you advice that works for you mm-hmm. and understanding that just because somebody says they're an expert or seems like an expert, if their advice doesn't work for you, it doesn't mean that you are wrong or you're doing it wrong. Um, because yeah, there's, it. I mean, I know only about this from writing, but I'm sure that there's an equivalent to this in other, you know, artistic disciplines where there are people who are like, I will now make a pronouncement about writing and it is correct. And if you are doing it a different way, then you're incorrect, lazy, terrible, and wrong. And you're like, hmm. Stop it. Yeah. <laughs> Unless the writing advice is you should write, then it's not it's not necessarily like a law or a rule or just because like Stephen King or whoever said it doesn't mean that like you have to do it. And not that Stephen King's advice is actually bad. I mean It works for him. Yeah, it works for him. And and Stephen King has a life in which he can he can focus on writing like that. Um so yeah, so A lot of things are like really specific to your situation. Like, okay, here's an example. Uh, I'm going to mention John Scalzi's name again. Um, (laughs) I'll just put a check um, in the mail. It'll be fine. Right. Like clearly we're just going to have to get him on a show so you could just say all these things. (laughs) It was like, sir. Um, But okay. So many years ago, I can't remember exactly how many, but it's been a while. I remember that Scalzi wrote a blog post and... Lord knows I can't find it uh, again because I I looked for it once and I was like, I can't find this. But anyway, he wrote a blog post in which he was like, if you're going to be a writer, you have to do these things. You have, And I think it was something like, you have to write every day. You have to write like this many words or you have to, you have to, you have to. Like there was a lot of you have tos. And I was like, hmm, thanks. And one of the things that, and, and he said something like, you know, and if you say that you, you can't do that, well, just look at, I have a friend over here and this friend over here, he has cancer and yet he still, you know, does whatever. He still writes every day. He still puts out books and he's got cancer. And 
so you should. I'm like, and it's, this is another reason why like this blog post from 2017, where he's talking about how he's, he's doing less work because of the political climate. I found it so ironic, but it also was one of the things where I was like, aha, so somebody can learn. Um, and, That's and one that thing was, I like about him is that he, right. yeah. It's like, there's, there's some growth and some change there. Um, but, but yeah, like at the time I was just like, okay, like you're sitting here saying like, you have to do this and you have to be this way. But like, not only are you a white dude with white privilege, um, but, but the way that his life was set up was, was such that it was, it was possible for him to work in that way. He, you know, even though he had a child, he also has his, his wife with him who can, who's helping to take care of the child. Um, and it's his business manager, really. Right. You know, their expenses are such it, that he can do that thing without having to worry about working two jobs. Um, and if you don't work the two jobs then you can't feed your family and, and, you know, again, it's like, not that his life was like 100% like so easy and that's why he could write, but like his considerations were very different from many people's considerations. Um, and, and even the person that he cited, the person who had cancer was another, uh, well-off white man with white privilege who, who didn't have the same considerations as say, um, a black woman who has two children and who has to work, you know, uh, 10 hours a day in order to ensure that like, you know, her children have enough food to eat and have clothes and whatever. Even if that black woman uh, has a partner, um, depending on where they live, depending on their circumstances, whatever, like they may still have to do a lot of stuff that Scalzi and that other writer do, like don't even have to consider because of their particular situation in life. And so it was, you know, yet another lesson. Um, by then I had learned a lesson many times, but it was yet another lesson for me in like, you know, uh, expert things that you must do in order to are, are not always correct. They don't always take everything into consideration. And so it's good to find people who are giving out advice about how to do your work, how to get your writing done, how to get your art done, how to get your dancing better, how to become a better musician, all of that. It's good to listen to people who have advice that um, comes from a place that is either similar to yours or empathetic to the place where you're coming from. Like maybe Mm -hmm. they don't have the exact same um, issues that you do, they don't have, they haven't gone through the, the exact same struggles, but they are empathetic enough to understand that those struggles exist and how they might impact you. And to then look at the advice that they give for how to get through that. And sometimes it means just asking, like, you know, there are several writers on Twitter who are pretty open about like some of the stuff that they go through. Um, like Cameron Hurley, for instance, uh, who's a really awesome person as well as a really great writer. And, you know, Cameron is often very clear about the things that she has to struggle with, um, in order to like get her writing done, um, on top of, you know, having the job and, you know, she doesn't have kids, but you know, there, there are health things there are mental health things. Like there's a lot. So, you know, Cameron, I feel like gives really good writing advice, but Cameron is also one of those people who would never say like, this is universally the way that you must do it. Yeah. You know, um, finding people like that 
you know, in whatever artistic discipline who are going to give you the advice that makes sense to you. And just be aware that you don't always have to like take all the advice. You can discard it if it doesn't work for you. Um, And it doesn't mean you don't have grit. I'm going to keep coming back to that. (laughs) Another person I see talking about stuff a lot is Delilah Dawson. Oh yeah. Delilah's feed is great. Yeah. She, she'll offer like everything from like, overcoming her own mental health struggles to finding uh, an agent to sitting down to write to poetry from her dog's perspective. Like her Twitter feed has, has a lot, but she's um, I like following her for kind of those same kind of reasons because uh, I feel like I learn a lot just about, you know, I'm, I'm not a novelist or a comic book writer or anything, but um uh, writing processes are often very similar across a lot of different types of writing. And so I appreciate following her for those. Yeah. And another, I, I'm pretty sure that I've mentioned Emma Newman on this podcast before because mm-hmm. she was one of the instructors on the Writing Excuses cruise in 2017. And she gave a really excellent talk on how to basically like being a writer who has mental health issues and and some of the strategies that she employs to help her move past the you know depression anxiety like brain stuff that can sometimes keep her from writing and um and you know she she gave a really fabulous talk and i don't know how much she talks about it on twitter just because like i i actually haven't been on twitter regularly for a while so even though i follow her i don't see many of her posts just because of not being on twitter mm-hmm. um but but i think that she's a person who if you were to like tweet at her and ask she would be like oh yeah let me let me tell you how how I deal with the things um, and help you because she was just she was very open and she was very willing to like sit down and have one on one conversations with people on the cruise um, about that and so it, she seems like the kind of person who would be willing to do that uh, on the twitters as well. So I'm I'm trying to think of like what are some actionable things that we can we can tell people or things that we can share that we've done that have been helpful that are like broadly applicable. Like not everybody can write from nine to noon every day or, you know, sit down to work on a thing from nine to noon every day. I get that. But I got to this point. Maybe this is what I want to say that if you look at, so here's a story I tell myself. If you look at, um, people who are very successful, usually the thing that you see is not the first thing that they tried to do. Like whether it's a business or a novel or a painting or, you know, choreography for a dance or whatever, they have had a lot of experience building things until they get to the point where they have something that becomes successful. So like Hamilton, right? Lin-Manuel Miranda went to a high school for like talented people. He has been learning how to put songs and music and all of this stuff, like this writing process. He's been learning this since he was a teenager, right? Hamilton wasn't even his first musical like on Broadway it it's 
you know, it's this process that he built to. And, you know, he had In the Heights, which, which was popular, but not, not with the staying power that I think Hamilton will have. Um, you look at so many novelists, their first published novel is not the first novel they wrote. And they learned writing. You know, we start learning how to write when we're really little. Whether some of us are, you know, some people are better at it than others, and that's fine. But like, they didn't just sit down and write a novel over three months. It's years of learning how to write and how to construct a story and all of that stuff. Painters, right? You don't see anybody's first painting hanging in a museum. All right, but I'm sure it happens, but like, that's a rare thing, right? Choreography, like it's the same thing. People, you build experiences. And in order to get to that point where you have this finished product, you find what works for you. And what works for you won't necessarily work for other people. But what I've been doing, and the thing I remind myself all the time, is even though this time really since Justin and I prepared to move, started to prepare, which was in March, and now it's November, my productivity has been awful. Like, it has been awful. But what I have done is I have learned a bunch of ways that... I can't be productive, right? So like this whole thing has been an experiment, a very slow experiment and a very expensive experiment. And um, I need to get the fields guide out so I can start earning money. But like everything I've done that hasn't worked is another, another data point. Is it Thomas Edison said something about learned 10,000 ways. I don't remember. There, there's a very cliche quote at this point, but you know what I mean? Like I know I have learned, I don't like night showers, but I also know that I am most productive if I get out of bed, eat breakfast and start writing. Like if there is anything that comes in between those three things, if I start reading a book, if I check my email, if I decide to do another chore first, if I, whatever, if anything comes in the way of that, then I am not productive the rest of the day. And I've learned that over the last few months. And so what do I do? I get up, I eat breakfast, I start writing after my three hours are up, I go take my shower and then I eat lunch and then I decide whether I want to write more or not. Um, and this seems to be working really well for me, but you know, I took night showers and hated it for like weeks <laughs> until I was like, this isn't working. So I, I guess that's, that's my number one piece of advice is pay attention to what you're doing and what works and what doesn't work for you. And Try to do it without judgment. Just observe, and I know this is hard to do sometimes, but just observe and decide how you can make what's working fit or how you can replace what doesn't. So the big example, example for me is showers because I love taking showers, but I know if I take them first thing in the morning, I'm not going to have a productive day. I know if I take them at night, I'm going to feel gross the whole next day. So I take them in the middle of the day instead. And that seems to be working for me. I don't know. Hopefully that's something that can be actionable for other people. Like, don't beat yourself up. 
just to learn and adapt and try something new. Yeah. And keeping track, keeping data on, on what works for you and what doesn't, I think is really useful, um, especially if you are a data-driven person. I, I'm somewhat of a data-driven person. Um, so it, this advice like kind of mostly applies to writing, but um, being able to like sit and write like in multiple different places using multiple different uh, devices can be really helpful because then it can like make you feel like, okay, I've, I've been able to be productive even though I had to like go do this thing. Um, I remember, uh, Kini Ibro Salam in, when she was guest of honor at Sirens two years ago, uh, I believe, um, she talked about how, no, no, actually it wasn't when it, at Sirens, haha. <laughs> it was um, when she accepted the tip tree for her um, collection, Ancient Ancient. And she said that, you know, there were a lot of things that she didn't think that she would be able to do that she started doing because she was like, I really want to get like these stories out. I want to get this completed or whatever. Um, and, you know, she was like, you know, I never thought I'd be able to like write on the subway, but then I started doing it and I wrote lots of words on the subway and whatever. And, and it was one of those things where she, she had like put these limitations on herself because she's like, Oh, I can't, I can't, I can't. But then she was like, but I have to. Um, and that, it was like her own internal, I have to, she, it was, I want to. Right. And so she was able to get that done. So, you know, I, I do a lot of resisting of writing when I don't have like my writing laptop sitting on the place and on the couch with the perfect amount of softness and the pillow behind me. La, la, la. Like sometimes I, I get a little bit precious like that, but, um, but mostly you know, for me, that's about like a comfort level so that I can stop paying attention to my body and start yeah. paying more attention to my writing. But, um, you know, if, if you are like, but I don't have the time to sit down and find the perfect couch or whatever. And I, I can't afford to be going to the Starbucks every day. Um, you know, finding the ways that like you can just like put in a few words cause you don't have to sit down and write all the words all at once, um, necessarily. And, and breaking out of the, oh, I have to blah, blah, blah. And just saying like, what, what can I do when in my day, is it possible to be able to just like pull out my phone and write, pull out my little notebook and, and do a sketch? Um, and, and keeping track of your progress in that area. Um, I have a long disused, but something I'm going to be going back to a form that I created for myself on Google drive. That's basically like, okay, what day is it? What time is it? How many words did you write? Where were you? And any other notes about that experience? And I set that up shortly after reading a blog post, which I have mentioned on this podcast before about like written by a writer who said how I went from writing 2000 words to 10,000 words a day. Mm -hmm. Let me tell you something. Don't, don't worry if you cannot write 10,000 words a day. I think that that is a very, very special skill. I do not have it. Um, but the advice in the article was less necessarily about like how you have to write 10,000 words a day and more about how, how this writer was able to get up to what she felt was her maximum potential which was 10,000 words in a day. It still um, blows and, me away. Right. Uh, and so like, you know, the advice is like, how do you reach your maximum potential? And one of the things you talked about was just keeping track of 
where she did her best writing or got the most amount of words. And that was by sitting down and going like today, I sat down here in this place and I I attempted to write and I was able to get this many words. And she did that for several weeks. And then she looked over the data and she was like, oh, 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 now I understand this about myself where I, I get my best writing done when, you know, whether it's morning, afternoon, evening, middle of the night, you know, whatever it is. And, and so, yeah, keeping track and then like trying new things, like trying out how, like, I I guess like I have 10 minutes here, I'll just sit down and I'll try to write some words or I'll sit down and I'll do a little writing exercise that helps me understand my characters better. Um, I, I will once again, say how much I feel that writing exercises are very important to writers just as just as practice and exercise are very important to all artistic disciplines. So yeah, take those few moments to just like get a little practice in. Um, and, and that may help you feel more like you're being productive, even though you're not like sitting down necessarily to like write that whole chapter in that book or finish that whole entire painting or choreograph the two hour thing that you're trying to choreograph, you know, whatever it is, if you like can find those little places to like get a little bit done, then it may help you feel like you are still moving forward. Um, You're still like sort of in, in the mindset. So that might be helpful. But again, if you can't do that, don't feel like it's necessarily like you have to, or you're wrong if you don't. Um, The biggest piece of advice uh, I would give is to don't be afraid to like really address what's going on inside of your head and also like outside in the world that's impacting what's going on inside your head with others. If you are in therapy, talking about it with your therapist. If you're not in therapy, talking about it with the people who love and care about you, your family, your close friends, other artists that you know. Um, and and really just allowing yourself to say, this is what is impacting me. This is what I feel is wrong. So that either other people can say, yes, that's totally a valid like issue you have, I have, we all have together. Um, so that they can say, here are my solutions or here are the things that I have tried that may be useful to you or for them just to say like, that seems really tough. Let me give you a hug. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, all of those responses are, are good and useful. And maybe you even say to them, like, I'm going to tell you this. And what I really need from you is for you to tell me that everything is going to be okay. And to give me a hug. Like, I don't want solutions. I just want support. That's also really important just to like, let people know what it is you need. And, you know, just being, being in community, finding community, if you feel like you're really isolated or alone, um, coming, one of the only things that Twitter is good for anymore is like finding other people to be in community with. Um, and maybe you don't, you don't like actually have that community primarily on Twitter. Like you find out about them and maybe like you hang out with them in a, in a different forum, in a different group, um, or you find out that there are like people in your local area who meet up in person on a regular basis and you like go looking for people there. But, but, you know, doing, seeing if you can find other people to be in community with. And this is actually something that I was talking to my friends about recently where, 
I, I know that especially with like artists who are very public online about, you know, what's going on with their art and also the fact that like they have these friendships, right? Like you, you'll see people and they're like having a conversation on Twitter and it's almost like they're publicly instant messaging, you know, about stuff. It's like, oh, by the way, are you coming to the thing on Thursday? Yes, I will be there, but I'll be late. Okay, but don't forget to bring the potato salad and be like, sure. Um, and that's all happening on Twitter. And you're like, wow. Mm-hmm. That's, <laughs> um, and so it, it may seem like, you know, these artists in their communities are in sort of a closed group and, and it's like not penetrable. Um, and it may not be 100% penetrable only through talking to them on Twitter, because a lot of the, the artists that you see, like having these like friendships that occur on Twitter is because like, we actually know each other or we've met each other in person as well as knowing each other through the internet. And so, you know, but that's, that's the thing is like, First, we met on the internet, a lot of us, and then we went to, like, say, conventions or other gatherings and got to know each other and became good friends because of that. Like, you can do that, too. You can reach out to other artists on Twitter, on Facebook, you know, wherever, on Instagram. Um, And at first, you know, you're not going to, like, have instant friendship, instant kinship with them, but just reaching out and talking to them, replying to their tweets, being part of the conversations that they're a part of, and and reaching out and saying, like, I would like to know how you are able to to deal with this thing that you're going through because I think I'm going through the same thing. Very often, they will reply back and say, oh, yeah, let me, let me tell you how. Let me talk to you about that. Um, approach people even though that's really scary. And sometimes when you approach people, they're not going to reciprocate. And that's really disheartening. But approach multiple people. <laughs> yeah. and, um, and don't get too discouraged. Like if one person doesn't reach back, because you're going to eventually find people who will reach back and who will be willing to like have uh, an online acquaintance with you that then may turn into something deeper later, but it's just like any relationship. Like it just, it sometimes takes time and to, to happen. Um, I mean, like five years ago, there are several people who I now consider really good friends that like, I literally only knew because of like one or two tweets and I was like, Oh, that person seems interesting. And now like I know them really well. I'm like, woohoo. It's, it's so great. But it wasn't like instant. It wasn't like I tweeted them once and they were like, we will be friends forever. (laughs) Um, but, but yeah, like it's just community is just so important. Uh, especially in this. And I know that we've talked about this on this podcast before too, and I just can't reiterate it enough. It's so important. So if it's hard for you to reach out and make friends, like I, I would just suggest that you do what you need to do, what is, what is possible for you to do to try to work up to that point um, so that you will have those people to reach out to if you need them. Um, and taking advantage of any of the tools available to you to help you deal with um, how stuff on the outside is impacting you on the inside. Uh, I know that there's a lot of stigma around mental health in a lot of different communities and the stigma around like going to psychiatrists or psychologists or counselors or whatever. And I just really suggest that if you have the ability to do so, 
to try to push past that stigma um, to find that help because it can make a huge difference. Like the number of people that I know who found the right psychiatrist, psychologist, counselor, you know, whatever, what, whatever combination of those um, it, to, to help them with talk therapy. Um, the number of people I found who were able to get medication for their anxiety, for their depression, that has made such a difference in their lives. Like I, I know that like, there's a lot of talk around like how some medications like make people feel dull or cloudy or whatever. But I know several writers who they went on medication and they were able to write much better or like they, they felt better about their writing and their writing output because of the way that the, the medication helped bring their brain chemistry back to um, a place where, where they weren't, totally feeling bombarded by their brain and their anxiety anymore. This isn't 100%. It's not going to work for everybody. But if you have the ability to, to give that a try, I definitely suggest that you do to see if it will work for you, to see if it makes a difference. But, you know, in general, like nothing, <laughs> no pill is going to fix the fact that uh, uh, America's politics are a garbage fire right now. Yeah. <laughs> but the having it, having psychiatrists, having community, having people to talk to, people to be empathetic to you may help minimize or or lessen the impact of the garbage fire on your mental state and on your ability to create. And yep. it may even like give you the opportunity to take what is out there um, and inspire you to like create something that is in resistance to it is uh flipping the bird to it you know to to turn that anguish and anger and sadness and fear into art um which i think is only possible if you feel like there's there's going to be somebody there to to catch you if you fall Therapy is hands down one of the best things I've ever done for myself. And I was in therapy for years because I had maybe not the most messed up childhood, but I did not have a fantastic childhood. Um, and I mean, even some weeks it was just like me going in and talking to my therapist who I adored um, and having her say, yeah, that's really messed up. <laughs> and then it was like... Yeah, it was really messed up. And just having that validation from like a mental health professional was all I needed in some cases. Like going to therapy, yes, sometimes can be hard, you know, but sometimes often for me in my situation, it was really validating. And that was something I needed at that point in my life. So and also keep in mind, if you're thinking about going to therapy, you do find a therapist, you do go. The first therapist you go to might not be one you click with. Um, unfortunately, it's it's there's kind of a trial and error process. Um, I remember one therapist I went to after the man I was engaged to died. Um, like months later, my mom was like, I think that you need to go to therapy. You need help processing this. She was totally and completely right. Um but he was like, and I was sitting, sitting in his office being totally honest. And he was like, I think you're lying to me. And I was like, 
all right, I'm never coming back here again. And I didn't. Um, so just kind of keep that in mind too, is like, you might not get an, Jerk face. I was looking for a non-expletive word to use. <laughs> you might not get a jerk face like that, but there might be someone that you just personality-wise don't click with. That's totally and completely okay. Um, find someone else. You can you can do it. I know it's hard. I know it's hard. I know it sucks. You can do it though. Hard agree. So yeah. So that's that's what I. Those are the things that I suggest, and I don't know if that's going to help everybody who's out there listening, but also I feel like this is one of those times when I really hope that, that folks take to Twitter and tweet at us about, you know, either their strategies um, for coping and creating art in this environment or, um, you know, just their, their stories of how either they're like struggling and still trying to work through it or they were struggling and did work through it. Just, you know, I would love to to have that conversation because I think that, yeah, the more people who are out there and visible and talking about it, the more people who will feel like they're not alone um, and broken and terrible, which are not. Yeah. I think the best outcome for this episode would be maybe for some people to find a little bit of community. Yes. Come come to our Twitter uh, and and we'll like try to try to match make, I guess, <laughs> people together. Um, and, you know, our, the, the show's Twitter account is at Originality FM. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my Twitter account is at Tiny Tempest. And Aline's Twitter account is at Aline it's because she's creative. fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we also have, we're trying a new thing. We have a group on Facebook uh, for, for listeners to come and like chat and hang out and discuss the episodes and such. And so the link to that will be in the show notes and you can come and if you want to talk about like this stuff specifically, you are free to in the group and we'll, we'll add you as we, we see you requesting membership. Yep. I know Facebook, I think Tempest and I have made it clear over the last little while that uh, Facebook is not the greatest thing, but it is still a good place for kind of community building and that type of thing. So let's give it a shot and see how it goes. I don't really want to manage a Slack team or anything like that. So we'll see. Yeah. Like pretty much groups is the only useful thing in Facebook right now. So, so yeah, that's why I was like, we should have a group. So, yes. So, that's it. So, is there anything else that you want to talk about on this subject? No, I think we're good. Um, let's, let's see what comes of it. Um, I guess more than anything, just like a lot of people are struggling right now for a lot of different reasons. And it is okay to struggle. Like, it doesn't feel good. I know it doesn't feel good. But it's okay. Definitely. Well, that's it for this time. Until next time, be kind to yourself. Hooray. Hooray. Hooray.